This is Tom Vargelettis with the Full-Time Real Estate Photographer Podcast, Episode 17, Video. So we did a couple interviews, a client interview, a photographer interview in the last two episodes. If you missed those, please go back and check them out. We get to sit down and listen to a new photographer to the real estate genre of photography and a real estate agent and experienced real estate agent who has been using professional real estate photography. And now we're going to talk a little bit more about video and specifically real estate video, how you incorporate it into your real estate photography business if you are so inclined. If you are a real estate photographer and you do not offer video in your business and you don't want to and you're like, screw that, I don't care. Okay, fine. You can stop the episode now and just wait for another photo-centric podcast episode. But I would like for you to stick around, though, because you can make a lot more money offering video services. And if you play your cards right, it's not going to really be that much more work. So from a business standpoint, if you have the physical ability to take video and if you're running around doing photo shoots... I'm going to guess you probably could also do video. It's going to be a great add-on to your business. And if you have a lot of clients, many of them will thank you because they need video services anyway. And if they're already going to go out and pay somebody to do some video work, why not you, their trusty local real estate photographer? So it's not that difficult to get into video at all. I mean, you've got a, probably a smartphone that can take some decent video. The difficulty is in taking good professional quality video every single time, all the time, and being able to produce a professional quality video in most situations. In video, you're a little bit limited, okay? So you're not going to have as much flexibility and control over your lighting, for example, as you do in photography, because you can just take your still image, go back into Photoshop and do all kinds of magical wonders. In video, there's a little bit more prep work up front. But like I said, it's such a great little add-on service. And when you get good at doing video, you get a lot more attention online. If you're just doing photography, posting your photos and things on Instagram, that's neat. But if you take a really nice quality real estate video and you share it online on YouTube, I'll even talk about a way to live stream pre-recorded, pre-made videos. You get a ton more attention. People will sit and watch a video rather than skip through your portfolio. So knowing how to actually make an edit video is great. And as a photographer, you could also make little videos of your work. You can make videos showing your stills, of course. You can also make some videos showing clips of your work. You could take client testimonials. You can do a lot more as far as expanding your business and getting even more clients in the future. So as a entrepreneur, I'm all about adding things to my business that not only help me profit more, but to profit even more than that on top of it. I really enjoy adding things that can help me achieve exponential levels of growth. Because when I'm doing something in my business, I'm not interested in adding something and then just getting a little 5%, 10% bump, you know, if I was going to measure it. 
if they are quantifiable in some sort of percentage like that. I don't know if you're looking at revenue or number of appointments booked, whatever. I want to do things that are going to have a much bigger, a much faster impact because, you know, I got things to do. I got places to go and I don't want to take the rest of my life to try and master one little tiny thing if I can make such a big difference and create some really incredible content with something like video, for example, or, you know, finding a good drone photographer or virtual tours, floor plans. These are all things that really help you in your business not just get specifically video clients, if you add video, but I have had referrals by videos that people have seen that they liked and they hired me to do photos, not video. I have photography clients who saw some videos of mine. They were like, wow, your work is great. Can you help me out with these listings? And then, you know, we ended up just doing photos. So each of these kinds of work, each of these genres of creative type of work that you're going to be doing, they're going to cross-pollinate each other. And when you get better at one, it helps you get better at the other. Okay, so let's talk about how we're actually going to be producing these videos. Software. This is a big one. I use Adobe products for everything. Adobe is not paying me. They're not giving me anything for free. I'm paying full price and I'm using these things because... I've just been training and practicing on them, and I personally like them. You can get any number of video editing software, but I would really strongly suggest you do something like what I'm doing. You can get the Adobe Creative Cloud. I don't know what it is, like five, $600 a year. You can find some lesser things than that, but when you have Adobe Creative Cloud, you have access to Premiere Pro, which is their video editing software, Adobe Audition, which you can use for sound design and audio mixing, Adobe After Effects, that you can do even more advanced video editing than Premiere Pro, and Premiere is pretty advanced on its own. So it actually would take you a long time. If you were to sit down tonight and say, okay, I'm gonna master Adobe Creative Cloud products, it's going to take you a long time, maybe a lifetime to master all of them. But if you focus on some key editing tools within them and just use them over and over again, you can get a really good product. So even though for some people it might seem like overkill, could you get the same result for a cheaper or smaller, metaphorically speaking, piece of software? Sure. Just bear in mind that, you know, when I'm doing my video edits, I'm not using the full advanced features of Premiere Pro, so you could get away with using other things. That's just personally what I use. I recommend it. If you're familiar with, you know, DaVinci Resolve or Final Cut or whatever, feel free to use those. I'm sure you'll be able to get just as good a result, but, you know, I recommend it. And when you hear me talking about editing things, you're going to hear me say, you know, Premiere or Audition or whatever. I'll, I'll try and throw a little asterisk on there and, and for all of you non-Adobe users to say, you know, this is going to be the audio sound mixing software in case if you're not familiar with the terms. But that's the software that I'm using. If you are a photographer and you're using Lightroom and Photoshop, those are Adobe products also. So if you're subscribed to the Creative Cloud already, it's not that much more money to pick up these other software licenses. And that's the software. Now, what are you shooting with? Like I mentioned time and time and time again, since the beginning, I use the Panasonic GH4 
And I mean, I'm using that thing. If you're following me on Instagram, you can see me at Tom Vargeletis, T-O-M-V-A-R-G-E-L-E-T-I-S, Tom Vargeletis. You'll see, you know, a picture of my face. It's the same face as the picture of me on the podcast thumbnail. So you'll know that that's me. You're going to see photos from all kinds of different listings, from multi-million dollar listings, million dollar listings, $250,000 listings, quarter million dollar listings. I shot all of them on the GH4. Now there's some, yeah, I have some photos from the Sony A6000, which is a camera that came out the same year as the GH4. These are not the newest, bestest cameras that money can buy. I just want to point that out. So I'm using the GH4 to do my photos and my videos. Okay. So not a brand new camera, not the best camera that money can buy, not even the best camera money could buy when those things came out brand new. I mean, they were great when they came out brand new, but they weren't like the best. So these are inherently limited technologies, but if you are using them in a way where you're just maximizing out their capabilities, you can get some great results. So you don't have to spend a hundred bajillion dollars in gear and then you don't know if it's going to pay off or not, right? So if you don't have a video capable camera now, I recommend the GH4. Like if you have to go out and buy something, what I am personally using and you can search me on YouTube as well. You can search my name, Tom Vargeletis, on YouTube, and you can find a whole long list of all my real estate videos. And you can see over time, they progressively get better and more sophisticated and more interesting. That's not because I'm using better, more sophisticated and interesting camera or software. I've been using Adobe Premiere Pro and the GH4 for my video since I started doing video but you're going to see an improvement in quality. I think personally, a massive improvement in quality. Some people still like my earlier stuff, but maybe they're just being nice. <laughs> so I've just been getting better at my photography, videography technique and, and my editing technique. And I'm going to share a little bit of this with you guys. So these are very low cost options. I'm going to think that probably by now, and this is like early 2019, that this is being recorded, that I'm recording this episode right now. And I would almost wager a guess that your Creative Cloud membership is going to be like as or more expensive than the actual camera body that you're going to be using. You don't need to spend a whole bunch of money on the gear. GH4, great piece of equipment. Now you're going to want to stabilize your footage. If you are hand holding your camera, you are not going to get great video. This is another place where people think, oh my God, to do video, it's going to cost me so much money. Gimbals, gimbals are so expensive. Oh my gosh, gimbals. If this is the first time you're hearing the word gimbal, I'm talking about a piece of equipment that you use to stabilize your video. And what that means basically is you're stabilizing the camera. It's a thing that holds the camera steady because your mortal hands are not. Even if you are standing as still as possible, there's still going to be some little bits of movement, of jitteriness, of shakiness. If you have a camera with a stabilized sensor, that can really smooth that out. But generally for shooting video, you're going to want another level of stabilization, not just in camera, in lens stabilization, because some cameras, some lenses have that. And it's very helpful, very useful. But when you're shooting video, I like to use a lot of motion. And you could get away with real estate videos on a tripod and a fluid head. 
that is definitely one option, tripod and a fluid head. And a fluid head is a tripod head. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping we, we all know what a tripod is by now. But a fluid head, it's just a tilt and pan head where you can, with the camera on top, tilt it up and down or turn it left and right or any variation of those motions. And it moves very smoothly at a steady pace with no shaking, no jitteriness. Fluid head will help you get those more cinematic camera movements. I don't do that. I don't take a fluid head out with me. And some people like to get sliders. A slider is another way of stabilizing your, your camera for some motion, not just tilting and panning. A slider is like a little tripod head on a little plate or, you know, some sort of a base that is on a set of rails. The ones that I've seen almost every single time that I've seen a slider, it's two parallel rails that are a certain length, an equal length. And some of them are motorized, the more expensive ones. They will automatically bring the camera on its little mount along the length of the rails from one end to the other. Some are not motorized. You'd have to turn a little wheel or use your hands to physically slide the camera. Now, this is going to also help you get some more cinematic camera movement, whatever that means. It's going to give you a smooth motion when you're recording your video. Some people like to get fluid heads and they like to get sliders. I don't use a slider. I don't even take a slider out with me. Actually, I don't even own a slider. I, I keep thinking and telling myself that I might buy one, but I just don't get around to it because you don't really need a slider when you're doing real estate video. So that's another piece of equipment. You can just scratch that off of your list. You don't have to spend that money to get these kinds of video, to get professional real estate videos. Some people want to buy a jib or they like to use a jib. And what that does is it's like a lever with a little hinge at the end and then another stick thingy. And what you do is you mount your camera on it. It holds your camera perfectly level at the end of the lever, the far end, maybe like a seesaw, right? If you're sitting on a seesaw and you're holding your head perfectly level and then somebody lifts you up and then lets you back down, but you keep your head level, that's what the jib is doing. So you can lift the camera up and then you can lift it back down. There are hand-powered mechanical ones and then there are these really slick electronic ones with these long boom arms that can extend out. Very cool, but not really necessary for professional real estate video. Some people like to buy and use gimbals. And a gimbal is what I use. This is another device to give you stabilized footage, but you are holding it with your hands. It's not supported on a tripod or stands or anything like that. You're holding it and it stabilizes the camera in your hands. And a lot of people want to get the fancy electronic gimbals because they are really cool and really awesome, but they are also really expensive. <laughs> And I mean, depending on who you are and where you are in your business, you're going to think, you know, $700,000. That's not that expensive. And compared to a lot of your camera gear, it's not really. But if you want to get a really good quality real estate video and you want to charge a competitive rate for it, unless you want to focus on the high end of real estate listings, and charge invoices on the order of like $1,500 to $3,000, 
I don't know if spending $1,000 or thereabouts on an electronic gimbal is really going to do the trick for you. Now, some really popular ones are the Zhenyan, Zion. Man, I'm, I'm not saying that properly. I, I forget what it is, but it's this brand of gimbals. It's called the Crane and then the 2019 there's the Crane 2, which is, you know, the next iteration of that. That's a really popular one. And then there's the DJI, which is also super popular. And then there's a Movi one. And there's a few electronic gimbal options in the $500 to $1,000 range. They're about super popular, but not necessary. The mechanical gimbal is the style that I use. And it's just, if you've never seen one, you can just look it up. Just Google gimbals. Or better yet, the type that I use that's kind of similar, and it's not this brand. You could Google a Glidecam, and Glidecam has these really awesome gimbals. It's just a mounting plate on top for your camera, and then a little stick or a pole that you can adjust its length slightly between like a foot or two feet, something like that. Weights at the end of it, and then somewhere towards the top, maybe a couple inches down from where your camera would be sitting, there'd be a, a ring with a handle on the side of it. That part is actually the gimbal. What you do is you balance the camera on the end of the gimbal and then with the weights at the other end, at the other slidey end that you can extend or contract. And when you balance it properly, I'm not going to go through explaining that on the podcast because as you could probably tell already, I'm not doing a great job <laughs> with explaining this. But the mechanical gimbal, no batteries. It does take more time to practice. You can't just take it out of the box and get awesome footage. You need to practice balancing it. You need to practice holding it steadily. And you need to practice moving with it and tilting and panning the camera while you're moving with it. It's probably best to practice each of these things one at a time. If you try to do them all at once, you're just going to get frustrated. And there's plenty of free video content on YouTube that will teach you how to do this. That's how I learned how to do this. It is a great tool. I did not buy the official brand name Glidecam One. I bought the no-name garbage one that was like $60. And for $60, I have used that one for a couple of years straight through until it broke. And then I got another $60 Glidecam thingy. I think it was about that price. I don't remember exactly. I bought it off of eBay from some guy. It's in okay shape. Now, the problem with the cheap knockoff brand stabilizers is that they fall apart they are not very easy to use. They're not as smooth to use. It takes a lot more effort on you personally to get a good stable image out of these things. But for me, I would rather work just a little bit harder to get pretty close to the same results than, you know, spend an extra, I don't know, three, four times the price to do that for me. Because it's just making me so much more profit right off the bat. I cannot get over asking myself the question, is having to work just a little bit less on location worth an extra $200, $300 to me? And I keep saying no, so I get the cheap ones. If you have more money to spend, go ahead and buy it. But I'm telling you right now, when you get on my YouTube channel, if you want to see some of these videos that I've made, 
and you see the stabilized footage inside of buildings, you know, going from room to room. That's all on the GH4 and a $60 tripod. Sometimes the memory card inside my camera is, <laughs> depending on which one I have in the camera, was more expensive than the gimbal, <laughs> okay? So focusing on your technique is more important than focusing on the stuff. That's the point I wanna drive home here. If you haven't done video work before and you're thinking about adding it to your real estate business, it's not gonna cost you all that much money to actually get ready to do it. And then we're gonna do the shoot, right? So how do you go about doing a video shoot for real estate. So when I'm on location and I know we're doing video work, I generally start from the outside and I work my way in and I travel through the house in a systematic way, also bearing in mind kind of how the house will be shown in the video. So when you're filming a real estate video, it's helpful for me at least to think about how a potential buyer might actually go through the house and view it. So they'd start outside, they'd start at the driveway, right? They'd walk up to the front door, they'll walk into the house, into the main foyer, the vestibule, the atrium, whatever it may be. And they might travel from living room to den, to kitchen, to whatever, to the master, first floor master bedroom, who knows? And then they'll go upstairs. And then maybe at the end of it, they'll go outside the back door and check out the backyard, if there is a backyard. So that's generally how I kind of go through the flow of my shooting as far as locations go. I'll start outside. All you need to do is just get some moving shots of the house in that way. If you were there looking at the house, you're interested in buying it, how are you going to walk around and kind of inspect the property? Your eyes are going to be on the building most of the time, but your eyes will also go to other important features that might be there. Gardens, local, you know, amenities. There's a monument nearby. There's an interesting tree or something. You can incorporate those into your video. Now, if you're really not sure what to do as far as compositionally speaking for your videos, just watch a bunch of real estate videos and take notes. Actually write things down, right? You know, first clip, first five minutes or first five seconds was the front driveway and then the second clip was of a tree and then the third clip was going inside the front door. Just take notes and think about these things creatively, constructively, and take it as a learning experience. You could also jump on TV like HGTV or some of those TV shows where they're flipping the house or those real estate shows, those million dollar listing TV shows. Like watch a few of those episodes. Even if that's not the thing that you're into, watch them and pay attention critically to how the videos are shot. And, you know, as far as coaching for compositions, that's going to be really helpful to you. So that is your free option as far as figuring out how to compose your shots. Now there's a paid option. If you want to get some actual training, and I mean like world-class awesomeness on how to shoot video, look no further than the Full-Time Filmmaker. You can find it fulltimefilmmaker.com. The man's name is Parker Walbeck. He has a real estate specific course 
you could buy the full course of his or just watch a bunch of his videos on YouTube. This man is amazing. He does all of his video shoots, his real estate video shoots on a glide cam. I think he just started using one of DJI's gimbals or, or something like that. But a lot of his work is on glide cam, similar to the way that I'm shooting. And he is on another level entirely. So if you want to really learn video shooting from the best, and his thing is just video, go to Parker Wallback, follow him, like him, so on and so forth. That's not a sponsored post. He's never paid me or offered me any of his training or anything like that for free, of course, not for free. I just really strongly recommend his products. Everything that he puts out is, is has impressed me so far. So that is something that you can go to if you want to spend a little bit of money. Don't spend it on a gear that you don't really need. Get it on some education that is going to change the way you do your business even more profoundly than that. So when you're going through, and I model a lot of my techniques off of what I'm learning or have learned from the full-time filmmaker course, this is simple motion, forward or sometimes lateral motion into a room because that's how you would walk into it if you were there. Uh, because that's the point of the video, to show the house to someone as if they were there walking through. Because when you're marketing and selling real estate, very few, I mean, it happens, but very few of your listings are going to get sight unseen offers, meaning not many people are going to look at a house online and say, I'm buying that. It happens and people do it. Usually they see something, they see photos, they see a video, and then they book a showing, they go to see the house in person, and then they love it. So the video is about sharing that experience. What is it like to be in this house? Is it going to be something interesting to me? Is it going to be the place for my family and me? And, you know, it, so you, you want to show the house as if someone was there. Forward motion, most of us walk forwards from room to room. So that's, that's how we'd see it. I do a lot of tilt ups, tilt downs, and kind of parallax motions. You'll see it in my videos if you jump onto YouTube. But basically, I decide what the subject of the room is, and then I decide some important features of, of the room. If there's a really high ceiling, I'll do a lot of tilt up or tilt down motions where I will start with the camera tilt up above level where I can see the ceiling. Now, obviously not straight up, just tilt it slightly up and then tilt down and then focus and pan the camera on other things in the room, furniture, fireplace, whatever. Or a tilt up is the same thing. You start looking down below level and then you tilt upwards. That's really good if you have some kind of interesting ornate tile or hardwood floor. You start there and then you tilt up. So you kind of exaggerate an interesting feature of the room. I will also do when I said parallax, so you focus on a central point, well, not necessarily central, Say there's this really interesting ornate fireplace and mantle with an entertainment center built around it. And that's at the far end of the room. Well, you imagine that there's a piece of string going from the sensor of your camera straight through the lens into the dead center of the subject of your video clip. And if you move left, right, forwards, backwards, whatever, you imagine that that string is taut the whole time, keeping the sensor and the lens perfectly focused and in line. I mean, in, in reality, it's not that easy to make it have that perfect robotic fixation on the subject. But if you get it really, really close, it looks like that thing that you're focusing on is moving still while you're turning around everything else. And it has this really nice little 
effect. And that's pretty much it. And then I just go from room to room getting a series of video clips. If you think you're going to get longer than like a five or a six second take perfect the first time, man, you are joking. You, you have to be, you know, a slider on rails or something like it's there's too many variables if you're hand holding a gimbal to get a long, perfect take. And if you're watching the video, it can get painfully boring. You want motion. You don't want clips to be longer than, say, four or five seconds, right? And you're focusing on four or five second clips. You know, you'll start, you hit record, you start the motion, you stop record. The video file that you've just written onto your card is probably 10 seconds long. You're only going to use four or five seconds of it, right? So you don't hit record the second you want to start recording. Hit record well before the start of your motion so you can move into it, execute it perfectly, and then move through it and then stop recording. Because if you try and get it exactly on the nose, you're going to introduce a lot of shake and weird wobbliness when you're hitting the button. It's going to be difficult. This way, record, film your clip, stop recording. You've got it. And then review each one of your clips. So we're starting outside, maybe in the front. We're working our way through the house. We're reviewing our clips. Camera settings. Well, a good rule of thumb is you want to film at a shutter speed that is double your frame rate. I will often film in 60 frames per second. On the GH4, you can film at 60 frames per second through a special little mode that it has, and you record a 24 frame per second video clip, which saves you a little time in post. What that means is you're filming in slow motion. You want to film in slow motion. If you don't have a camera that has this capability where you can film a 60 frame per second slow-mo video, but save it as a 24, but you do have the option to film at 60 frames per second and it saves and writes to the card at a 60 frame per second, there's a way to deal with that in, in post-production. You just reinterpret the footage and in Premiere Pro, I'm assuming any video editing application can do that. Any professional grade video editing application. I don't know if you can do that in iMovie or whatever. But in Premiere Pro, you just right click on the clip, go to um, like interpret or settings interpret, and then you type in your frame rate, 24 frames. So it takes a 60 frame per second video clip and it reinterprets it as if it were 24 frames, it spreads those 60 frames out over time, right? So it's only reading 24 frames per second, and in effect, gives you slow motion. Why do you want to film in slow motion? Well, for one, real estate is going to be a lot of still life. Generally, you're not going to have people or other moving objects in there that would kind of look silly in slow-mo. Sometimes not. Sometimes it looks really cool, to film at a high frame rate and even have people or some motion in there because it gives it this dreamlike, interesting effect. Something else that it does, it will smooth out any other weird wobblies or jitteries in your film while you're, while you're recording. So it helps add another layer of stabilization. If you're filming in slow-mo, you're using a gimbal and you're pretty good at it. Now, if you're bad at handling the gimbal, there's nothing, no one can help you. You have to get the practice in there. But if you're pretty good on the gimbal and then you're filming in slow-mo and then you open it up in your video editing software and you still notice a little bit of shakiness, you can hit it with some stabilizer in Premiere Pro. It's called Warp Stabilizer. I don't know if there's any other names for it in other programs. 
warp stabilizer 20 25% let it go through its thing let it process it and you get this buttery smooth clean sharp looking footage and you know it it's even better in my opinion than using sliders jibs and really anything else pan and tilt on a tripod because it's such an organic kind of a feel because you're moving through the property as if you are a person who is looking at it as if you're a buyer walking through the house. It has just a more natural, organic feel. So camera settings, shutter speed, double your frame rate, filming at a higher frame rate or filming in quote, air quotes, slow-mo. You want to choose your ISO per clip. You want to choose your uh, white balance per clip. And I mean per clip. So you can download an app for free onto your phone and... Or you could spend a couple dollars, it's more than a couple dollars, you could buy a little uh, white balance thingy-majig and then set your white balance settings. Or you could just read a bunch of charts about white balance and get a good idea of what number to set your white balance at. Okay, white balance. If you are not familiar with that at all, then, <laughs> then you're in trouble because if you're a photographer, this is important. So your color balance you can change very easily when you're shooting photos in RAW. It is like, don't even think about it. Don't even worry about setting white balance on your camera. If you're shooting in RAW, you can make drastic changes to the white balance and you're not sacrificing image quality or introducing noise. If you're shooting video, it is much less forgiving. You want your white balance to be as close to perfect or proper as possible. A lot of people will just chant this mantra, oh, fix it in post, fix it in post. Well, if you want to be able to do high quality, professional level of work, and if you want to keep getting clients back, and if you want to keep all your hair on your head, not clenched in your fists in front of your computer because you just are so frustrated with editing this back and forth, introducing all this grain and noise, and oh my God, it's not coming out right. Get the settings correct in your camera. You focus on that, on camera technique, on getting good camera settings, right? Proper exposures, proper white balances, good handling on the gimbal, you're filming in slow-mo. Like you want to set yourself up for success. A lot of the work that we're doing is about preparation, not in, you know, crisis management after the fact. So like I said, white balance app, pretty handy. If you leave your camera on auto white balance, probably a lot of the time it'll get it right. You know, And if it's pretty close, you can fix it easily in your software on your computer. Um, but you know, it, your life is just so much better when you are shooting at a proper color balance because whites look white, reds look red, browns are brown, tans are tan, the colors are appropriate. And then when you color grade on top of that, if you want to, you can. Now, some people, when they're shooting video, they like to shoot in what's called a log profile, a V-log or whatever, a flat muted profile. It, it looks almost hazy or desaturated. And that's to squeeze a little bit more dynamic range out of the colors and some of the luminosity uh, later in post. If you are not familiar with color grading video, do a lot of practice and trial and error when you're working on this. Don't just assume if I shoot in vlog and drop a LUT on it, it's going to look great because it doesn't always look great. And in my experience, you don't really need to color grade if you have good color in camera while you're filming. 
Okay. Running through the photo shoot, getting some good camera settings, taking your, you know, four or five second clips. Once you go through start to finish and you get pretty much every room and you remember in video, you don't have to get every single room. Some of the larger houses, you don't want to get every single room. And sometimes, you know, you stay out of certain bathrooms. You don't go into the basement sometimes. Maybe you don't want to go in the backyard, even if there is one. It's important to kind of walk through the house and mentally just keep track of what's there, what's not, and what you'd really want to show to a potential buyer. You want to make the house look good. That's what your job is when you're filming a video. And now, how do you know if you have enough footage? Well, you want to make sure that you're reviewing your clips. You want to make sure that you have a couple good takes for every single room. Because while you're shooting, you want to think about your edit. Because you're going to be editing this or sending them off to an editor. Now, a lot of my videos, I am personally editing them because... A lot of my videos are on the higher end listings and I don't really trust anybody else to do them. Sometimes for like the low end, I'll just send them to an editor. But like if it's you or someone else, you want to be cognizant of the edit and how it's going to be put together. So you're not going to have 10 minutes of different angles of one room. You might just have a couple clips of a couple different angles of the room. So you want to focus on those interesting features, maybe show it from two, three different angles, take one or two takes per, but you're not going to use every single one of them. You're going to review them on a big screen at home, at your office. You're going to pick the best ones because at the end of the day, you want your real estate video to be no more really than two, two and a half minutes long. If you want to have an agent in there who is talking or maybe a client who is in there talking whatever you can and then of course by the nature of of that type of video with some talking heads with some testimonials with some features about the neighborhood it's probably going to run longer uh make sure you're pricing your work accordingly but generally yeah you know keep it under two minutes and, and you can charge full price for that because agents want a good video they don't want necessarily a really long video because they want people to watch it love it and then come by the house they don't want people to sit there and get bored and be like, ugh. So it's important to focus on highlights of the property, get your clips with the plan in mind of having like a two minute, two and a half minute long video tops. I've done, some people have asked me to edit things down. They want it less than 60 seconds. They're like, I want a 45 second video. <laughs> really? It's going to cost you more for me to go back and re edit. I don't care. Okay. All right. Fine. Here you go. Y you want to, you know, really make an impact on people that are going to see it. But but you want a positive impact, not for them to come around away feeling boring. Like probably some of you are feeling about me right now, right? We want to avoid that. And if you're listening to me right now and you're like, get it over with, what's the next thing? That's what you don't want viewers of your video to be feeling. So let's just remember that while we're getting ready for our video shoots. Okay. So in the editing room, so you've got your footage together. How do you put this all together? So I normally start with uh, sound design. Sound design is really important for video. I mean, like you can have video that's not really awesome, but if you have a great sound, people love that. So 
like I mentioned before, the YouTube channel, videos that I've personally made, if you listen to them over time, the sound design is also becoming much more sophisticated, much higher production level, because I've just been getting better at it. And I'm going to share some of these tips with you. So first off, I use a lot of royalty-free music. Sound effects, a lot of the sound effects, I will either make them in my office, I will record them. I have a field recorder on location, like, you know, ocean waves, bird sounds, things like that. It's always going to add to your production value if you're using actual real sound that was there. And it's going to be a cute little thing. You can pat yourself on the back about it and tell your friends and they'll be impressed. So, you know, win-win. Or, you know, download free sounds online. Like there's tons of websites. You can just jump onto Google, free sound of trees rustling in the wind, free sound of a bell chiming, a wind chime, just a couple little things. And then you can get a a royalty-free soundtrack or you can subscribe to something like Premium Beat or SoundCloud has some free options. And then Epidemic Sound is a big one for YouTubers. So there's a few companies that will produce music tracks that you can use in your video. You can license them as a one-time use or a yearly use, whatever. Um, that's going to depend on uh, the company and, and how it's set up. There's some people that'll just give it away for free. If you're angry at the very thought of having to pay for sound effects and, and audio tracks, just remember that you know, as creatives in a creative profession, the only way that you can actually make an income and a living is to have a limited monopoly over the artwork that you're producing. So if someone puts hours, weeks, months into learning how to create audio, good quality audio, and then they put it online on a store or some format and then ask for a few dollars, it's not that big a deal, <laughs> you know? If you're making money off of producing the video, might as well pay for some of the audio stuff. You know, I know a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm not going to pay for whatever. Like, well, you know, people are paying you for your photos and your video. That's just the world that we live in. When you create something that's good, that's valuable, that other people want or need, you pay for it. That's fair. And that's how we do it. People pay you for your photos. They pay you for your videos. If you're using licensed music, please don't just steal it from the artists and not pay whatever modest licensing fee there may be. Some people will just sign over, you know, eternal licensing rights for like $60 or or something like that. And then you have it. If it's a good piece of music, you can use it forever. It's worth it because it's going to make you a lot of money. And it's just fair to work with other creatives. So you've got your audio. I start with a soundtrack. I just browse through. I have a little bit of a music library. I'll go online. I'll listen to some samples of other tracks. I'll try and see something that for me and for what, you know, I'm having my client uh, in mind, specifically the real estate agent who's paying me uh, as far as tastes go. Sometimes I'll share them sample audio. Um, Sometimes I'll have them just listen to some tracks and give me feedback. And then once I've selected my audio, then I'll do a little bit of the sound design. So if I know I want a minute, two minute long video, you know, I'll look at how much footage I have. If I have enough for two and a half minutes, maybe I'll do that. And, um, you know, I'll look at some tracks that are kind of close to that time wise for what I have in mind. Then I'll take it into Audition, my audio editing software. I'll uh, enable a remix on it, which the, the, 
there's a manual way to do this where you kind of cut and paste um, in between beats or notes in a track, and then you can extend it by copying things over and over and mixing them, or you can shorten it by you know cutting them in places that make sense and then giving them little like constant power crossfades, for example. Or in audition, you can just hit remix, type in the desired amount of time that you want, and then it just cuts it pretty much perfectly. Definitely no complaints for me with the Adobe Audition remix when I'm setting the time. So the length of the audio track is going to be the length of the video, give or take, unless I have like some fade out, maybe some text or a logo at the end for a second or two past the end of the audio. But generally, that's how long my video is going to be. If I want a two minute video, I get a two minute audio track. And then sound design. If it's on the ocean, if it's in the forest, I'm thinking, what are sounds that I'm going to hear in these places? In the ocean, maybe some bell chimes from a boat, maybe a fog horn or something like an ocean liner horn, specifically like ocean birds and ocean wave sounds. I'll mix those in. Uh, if I'm in a forest, you know, like forest critter sounds, uh, woodpecker noises. If you're in the temporal boreal biome, like I am here in New England, if you're in other places, choose sounds appropriate for that location. You don't have to have constant all the time, but on your exterior shots, it's nice to have some exterior ambient sounds. If you're uh, filming something on, on a deck, for example, you're getting a nice little video clip of a porch or a back deck, you know, maybe a sound of like some wind swooshing by, maybe some faint chiming in the distance. It does not take long. I'm describing these things. It's faster to download, find these clips online, download them and drop them onto your mix than it is for me to explain it to you right now. It is so fast. And then you just throw some reverberation effects on them, crank down the volume so you only faintly hear it in the background of the music and bam, you're there. Or that's the feeling you get while you're watching the video. So you do your sound mix in Premiere Pro. If you're using Premiere Pro and Adobe Audition, you can do your sound mix and you can do all your separate audio tracks and then import it directly into Premiere Pro. If you're using a different kind of software or maybe a mix of different brands, they might not be able to talk to each other. So you won't be able to do this seamlessly. You'll have to export a WAV file or an MP3 and then bring it into Premiere Pro. But you can create the general sound and ambiance of the footage that you want. Order your clips in a way as if you were going on a showing and walking through the house. I really often, I like to fade from black into the video and then fade out to black. And then I'll do, you know, some sort of visual transition like I'll fade into the video, I'll be at the front of the house, and then at the end of the house, when the video's over, you know, we'll be at the end and we'll start to look away from the house, it'll fade to black. And then you just do a bunch of just hard cuts, just stop the clip, and then butt the next clip up right next to it. And then you just go in order through the house. If you wanna do some fancy speed ramps or other transitions, uh, you can watch some YouTube tutorials on how to do that. There's a few more steps involved in more, sophisticated kinds of transitions and editing techniques that you can do. But like the meat and potatoes of creating a real estate video is right there what I've just described to you. Pretty much every single time, that's all I need to do. Sometimes I'll do some like zoom transitions with a speed ramp and sometimes I'll do some other things, but like it's relatively basic. Even the most advanced thing that I have to do to create these videos, 
It's very simple and easy once you learn how to use a few tools within the software. And most of my education is through YouTube and Google and talking to other people that do this kind of work. So all I'm trying to do here is light a spark to get you going because we're, this is all a visual art that we're working with. And just hearing me talking about it is not going to get you from zero to 60. It's going to help you get started on your journey of working with video because you might get into it and hate it. You might get into it and love it. Some people have transitioned to 100% video. Don't leave that kind of money on the table and that kind of creative expression out of your reach when it's such a low cost add on to your business. Clients will love it. You will make more money. When you're delivering the files, I just export it right out of the program into YouTube. So Premiere Pro has this thing where you can export into YouTube from Premiere Pro, not export a file and then go to YouTube and then upload it there and then type all the things in. Like on Premiere Pro, I hit export. One of my export settings is I can just check off this box, export to YouTube, type in my username, password, type in my tags, my title, my description, and hit export. And it just does it. It's amazing. It saves me so much time and frustration. I can start that process and walk away from my computer, do something else. I have a couple computers in my office. So a lot of the times, if I'm exporting and rendering on one computer, I'll go and I'll edit or do something else on another computer. If you've only got one, I don't know, watch an episode of your favorite TV show, go do some dishes, something like that. But uh, that's it. The video is uploaded. And then, you know, if you want to share it to your client, you can copy and paste the share link you can share the video or upload the video as unlisted. So it's kind of private. People can only see it if they are using a dedicated link. Like you can't search for it on YouTube. You can only copy and paste that exact link. That's one way of doing it. And it's free and you can host it on your own YouTube channel. That's what I'm doing. I'm just posting it on my own YouTube channel. If you wanted to give the video file to someone else, I'd recommend against it because once you give that file away, you're giving complete control of it away. And, you know, as a creative professional, you want to maintain that limited monopoly over your work. So posting it on YouTube, for me, it works. There's another program. It's not free. YouTube is free, but there's this one. It's called Wistia. If people are worried about branding, like, oh, I don't want it there. It's got your name on it, not mine. Throw it up on Wistia and then, you know, share it through that. You could also do what I'm doing predominantly is, yeah, I'm hosting the videos on YouTube, but I also have property listing websites that I generate for all of my photo shoots. And if we're doing, well, sorry, not all of my photo shoots, but when we're doing video or virtual tour or something, I throw in a website so I can embed the video onto a dedicated web page so you don't have the weird conflicting branding issues. Like if I'm a realtor and I want to sell 123 Main Street, but someone sees the video, they see your name, are they going to call you? Well, if you host it on a third party on a website or something like that, that's not a problem. And finally, getting paid. That's it. You just add that as a line item on your invoice and ship it out for payment. And you've created a beautiful work of art that all the boys and girls at home can enjoy. You know, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but honestly, I enjoy doing video and audio work far more than photography. Like with photography, 
that's my bread and butter. That is the primary source of income from my photography business. <laughs> Go figure. The video work, I find I get a lot more pleasure and satisfaction in doing. That's just me personally. You might get into this and say, uh, this is the worst thing I've ever done. This is, was a huge mistake. I'm not ever doing this again. And that's okay. It's better to have had that experience and know than to potentially leave a bunch of money, a big old pile of dollar bills on the table and a lot of potential enjoyment that you could get out of your business. So I really recommend adding video as a service. And you can follow these steps, watch other people's videos, and practice, of course. <laughs> you don't just call up your clients and say, I'm doing video now, but you've never done video before. The first five, six videos that I ever shot were my house, my parents' house, my grandparents' house, my friend's house, and my friend's neighbor's house like full on real estate videos, like trying to do audio and all this just craziness, just figuring it out. And I used those in my portfolio to get paying clients. So when you put the time in on the front end, it almost always pays off. I mean, if you're not being constructive about it and you're not being deliberate and kind of disciplined about how you're learning and how you're executing and really paying attention to it, if, if you're not doing like just kind of basic steps that are key to actually learning and improving, you're going to have a tough time. But you know, if you give it the right amount of attention and you really focus on creating a good product and you think about your client, most importantly, and making them happy, giving them something that they want and need, that is going to help you do some incredible things. So I hope everybody can get out there, start adding video if you haven't. If you've been doing video work, I hope that some of this has been helpful. By no means am I a video expert. I can do a pretty good job, but that's because I pay attention and I try to learn as much as I can. And if you want to learn from one of the best, go and look up Parker Walbeck and the full-time filmmaker course. That would be probably the best resource or the best example you can go to in terms of actual physical instructions. And I'm sorry, I hope this doesn't seem like it's just a long ad for his work, but personally, I'm very impressed by it. I model a lot of what I do off of him. And if you want to create a higher level of work, you've got to look to people that are doing better than you are doing and try and model off of them, not to copy them. You're not going to copy them exactly, but you're going to use what you see there to help improve your work. And then you can add your own little twist on things. Maybe you want to have a different way of shooting that you like personally, and you can add that signature, that personality to your work. That is just a great way to do business. And you can get there by practicing and seeing what others are doing and kind of modeling off of that and then making your own decisions afterwards. I hope that this was helpful for everyone. That was the episode. If you want to reach out to me, if you want to get maybe on a future interview, if you want to email me with a question, always looking for some feedback. And I've got a laundry list of future episodes that I want to do. But if you have a question that you'd like to have addressed on the podcast, go ahead and reach out. You can email me at tom, T-O-M, at F-T-R-E-Photo.com. If you uh, follow me on Instagram, you could also send me a message there. 
there. One of our first full-time real estate photographer podcast listener question answer episodes. <laughs> Maybe I'll come up with a better name from that. But the first question that I answered was from someone who reached out to me on Instagram. That was episode 14, Pricing Your Work and Should I Buy a Matterport Camera? So if you have a good question that's worthy of an episode that hasn't been answered yet, always happy to take an extra bit of time and deliver some value for you on that. So without further ado, this was the Full-Time Real Estate Photographer Podcast, episode 17, video.